This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Today, we begin year five of podcasting. Not to pat ourselves on the back, Dave, but I think it's rather amazing that we've published a podcast and an article every week. Uh, That's two pieces of content each week for four years. I'm not sure where we got the idea of doing a weekly podcast as opposed to doing only a set number like a lot of podcasts do or, say, an episode every other week. Uh, I think that idea came from Seth Godin, who's in my estimation, one of the best thinkers on marketing in the world. And he just says, if you want to do something, do it consistently, either every day or every week. And so that's where the idea came from. And that's our claim. We're not claiming to be the world's greatest fly fishers or experts. We're we're just a couple of guys that, uh, we're two guys that love fly fishing and uh, like to talk about it. And we're, we're grateful that A lot of you have found it entertaining and uh, maybe a little bit of help and insight along the way. So, At the end of our fourth year, start of the fifth year, we are now at 8,400 subscribers. Oh, man. I didn't realize we jumped that high. Yeah, and we have, uh, at least according to the data, it says we've had 310,000 unique downloads. So in the tiny niche of fly fishing, I'm pretty happy with that. I don't think we aspired to much when we first started. No, no. It's all about just doing it because we enjoy it. As long as we still have energy to do this, we'll keep podcasting, I guess, right? That's right. And like you've said before, when we don't, we won't. That's exactly right. It will stop. That's right. Well, to kick off year five, our first episode is going to go a little bit broader than fly fishing. We're going to talk about traditions in the great outdoors. Now, if you fish or hunt with someone other than yourself or climb mountains or mountain bike or whatever it is you like to do, most likely you have outdoors traditions. Traditions are not merely habits or patterns. Uh, Traditions are routines with meaning. A tradition can be a yearly fly fishing trip like what Dave and I do almost every fall to Montana, or an annual family pheasant waterfowl hunt like what Dave and his dad do each year in North Dakota, or the annual bow hunting trip for elk, which my dad and brother and I did in Montana. I guess it wasn't really a trip because we lived right in the hunt heart of of, of elk country, but every September, several days, we spend up in the mountains north of Yellowstone Park. Well, today, to help us talk about outdoor traditions, we have a special guest with us, and not to brag, but I get the credit for booking him (laughs) on our podcast. It was your idea. This was my idea, so there, Dave. Well, our guest today is Dave's 84-year-old father, LaRue Getz. LaRue is with Dave and his family this week as they celebrate Dave's son, Corey. Corey is going to be graduating from high school on Saturday. Uh, LaRue, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, the first thing I need to know is, is Dave treating you well? Because if not, I'll take him out back and rough him up a little bit. <laughs> no, he takes good care of me. Good. So speaking of roughing up, we were at Corey's lacrosse game. It was his last game yesterday, and they played Naperville North. 
and Corey put a hit on a guy. Oh wow! <laughs> that cost him some penalty time. Oh man! So in honor of roughing up, we'll oh, yes, uh, ref- that, reflect it. on Corey's lacrosse career. That's it. If if you don't treat your dad well, your son will be the one to rough exactly. you up. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, Larue, I I love to begin with you telling the story of one of your most memorable fishing experiences. Uh, Dave said you caught a large northern pike in the the late 1960s? That's right. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, my brother-in-law and his wife uh, came down from Cleveland, North Dakota for the weekend. It's a memorial weekend. And we went out fishing uh, west of Akaska, South Dakota, where we lived, Mm -hmm. you know. And it was... uh, it was a very special day, let me tell you. First of all, the weather was perfect. Secondly, we got out there to this one spot, an area that I had never, ever fished before. And uh, the water was, uh, it was a very deep, uh, kind of a, like a channel mm-hmm. going up in, yeah. in, into the, the hill, big hill. And uh, so I got my rod and reel out and I, you could only, you know, use uh, two of them. So right. I got them ready mm-hmm. and put put the one of them in, and the other one I put a big uh, red and white uh, uh, spoon on it. Was it the daredevil? Oh, wasn't yeah. It? The daredevil. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, I only cast it out once. <laughs> and I thought I was hooked on to a piece of driftwood. <laughs> and I, I had a, I'm, I don't mind telling you fellas, but I, I d- didn't think I was going to be able to pull this one off because I thought I would tear the line because I only had a, a 12 pound test line on. So oh, I just man. kept working and working. And finally, all, uh, I, I realized that out in front of me, I don't know how many yards out, there was something that came to the surface, and I saw that that was not a piece of driftwood. That was a fish. <laughs> and that bugger was a monster. And uh, I just kept pulling him, and he just, every once in a while, he'd, he'd dive down. And then I'd bring him back up. He'd dive down, wow. he'd bring him back up. And finally, I got, I got him pretty close to the shore, and then he took off. And it took me, I'd say, at least a half hour to, to, to bring that fellow in. Huh. But I, I played him out. Yeah. And I brought him up to, to the shore. And uh, I went, he, just, he was just played out. He just laying with the tail still in the water. Wow. I went on be, around behind him and grabbed him by the eyes and brought him back <laughs> oh, off man. the shore. Dad, didn't the line snap right at the end? No, huh? Oh, it didn't. No. I think, okay, that was my addition to the story. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, the family, David and, and his cousins and his sister, they were screaming. They were watching this whole ordeal. <laughs> wow. What year was that, Dad? It was, it was in the Memorial Weekend of 1968. Wow, so, so Dave was six. Yeah, huh? six yeah. years old. Wow. wow. That's great. That's I, one I, of them that I will never forget, I'll assure oh, you. Yeah. What's bizarre, I can remember that. I remember it actually laying half in the water, half huh. out of the water. Wow. Yeah. Good night. You got like a South Dakota Angler Award or something, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Huh. I got my picture in the who's who 
oh, wow. magazine in South Dakota. Man, so how, <laughs> how big was this? This thing? fellow was 23 pounds and oh, 12 ounces, word. and he was 46 and a half inches long. Oh, my goodness. It was a northern pike. I yeah. mean, he, he, was, he was huge. Oh, yeah, that's a huge northern. And it, Good night. <laughs> my cousin said, uh, he, my cousin is a big fisherman. Mm -hmm. He says, I have never, ever caught a fish that big. Oh, wow. uh, as much fishing as I do, and you catch the big ones, <laughs> when you only fish once in a, once in a blue happens. moon. Yeah, that always happens, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the first cast just near the, the bank, and, and boom, you, you catch the Moby Dick in the... In the water. Wow. <laughs> Steve always Steve always whimpers because I always do catch the big fish. He might yeah. catch volume, but I catch yeah. size. <laughs> There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. You've you've got your dad's genes. So Dave mentioned too that you had a close friend who uh, you spent a lot of time with hunting and fishing. Uh, I guess his name was Ronnie, and maybe you could tell us a fun story about Ronnie. But then then also tragically he drowned. Maybe you could tell us that as well. Yeah, Ronnie and I were very close uh, friends. His mother and my mother were sisters, and his dad and my dad were brothers. We just grew up together. Hmm. He was a bit younger than I am, than I was, rather. But uh, we were out uh, hunting one day, and this is in the fall, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had been uh, doing some grouse hunting and uh, and then doing some not only pheasant hunting, but uh, duck hunting and goose hunting. And we were just out bouncing around this one area. It was in, in, on the prairie. And the, uh, the area had been cut. The hay had been cut and stacked. And, uh, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes, jumps a fox. Mm. And uh, Ronnie was, we were using his car and I, I, I just yelled out, Ronnie, let's go after him. <laughs> and I rolled down my window, and the fox made a, started making a big circle. And Ronnie, with his Chevy uh, car, we went around, or we must have went around at least three, four times. And all of a sudden, that fox took a beeline straight out, and wow. I says, after him. And I had my window roll down, and I had the shotgun. This sounds When I think about what happened, fellas, this, I, 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 pulled, I aimed at this fox, and I, I, I aimed ahead of him a little bit, and I pulled the trigger. And the sight, I wish I'd had a camera with me. A movie camera. <laughs> that fox just went end over end. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Oh, man. That's crazy. So children, don't do this at home. No, no, not at all. That's, oh, my wow. goodness. Now, we could have we hit a rock, but we didn't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, that would have been scary. So you lost Ronnie. He, he drowned. What, what happened? Yeah, he, in the Memorial Weekend of 1968... Was that, that couldn't have been the same weekend that we were fishing, was it? Were we fishing that same weekend? Boy, I'm just not sure anymore, Dave. But anyway, uh, here uh, Ronnie was working for a fishery out of Mobridge, South Dakota. And they were doing some uh, fishing on the Morrill River. And uh, it was a pretty warm day. Uh, and he was... Uh, he, took his clothes off and, and, uh, and jumped into the river 
and he got into uh, fast-moving, swirling water, and he got the cramps and went down, and it 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 took his life. Oh, my. And that was a very, very dramatic uh, moment for not only for myself, my family, but for his parents. Oh, yeah. And and for the community, because Ronnie was well-known. He had such a great, affable personality. He really did. So that also changed your life. I mean, that was really the vectoring decision um, that's, that said, you know, you were working on a ranch, at the, our family ranch, and you made the decision to go back into full-time Christian ministry. Hmm. That's right. I, wow. I felt that that particular day the Lord really spoke to me that, hmm. I, that I needed to make a change in my life. Hmm. Wow. Huh. You know that there is something about outdoor traditions that when you you lose somebody that you share that with it, it, it really does uh, cut deep, doesn't it? It's it really hard. does. It really does. Steve, what was it like for you when you lost your dad many years ago? Because you haven't hunted elk since then, right? Or did you hunt after he passed? You know, away? I I did a little bit, uh, and that was obviously that was hard at. at number of levels i mean first of all he's my dad you know losing him he was 62 i was i had just you know i was 40. um yeah i died of cancer and and you know so that that was that's hard enough i i think from the other standpoint so much of what we did we, we really had a couple things that we loved to do together we loved baseball and growing up played a lot of baseball we, we played catch I'm, I'm amazed my dad didn't have to have a you know, Tommy John surgery or something for his arm, but all the catch ahead of him out there playing. But, uh, yeah, hunting was our other big thing. We, we fished a little bit, but as I've shared before, my dad was, uh, he was a hunter and we, we hunted whitetail in Illinois when I grew up there, but in Montana, we, we bow hunted for elk. And I remember after losing him, uh, yeah, the, I think the first couple of years, it's like, well, I just, I don't really feel like getting out. I've, I really have lost my uh, my hunting partner, and and I, then I remember too the times when I would get out. I, I was hunting uh, below the Bridger Mountains one day uh, near Bozeman, and and uh, got into a big herd bull. It was a six point bull, and I you know I was cow calling, and I had a friend behind me who was. Uh, we figured that was effective. You get somebody behind who's cow calling bugling once in a while but a cow call was better because uh, it wouldn't scare them off they would think hey there's one of my one of the cows in my harem is you know is wandered and so I'll never forget uh, I this thing was about 40 yards away and, I, and I, I wanted to get within about 30 but the problem was there was a white tail doe I mean we were low enough on the mountains there there were white tailed deer there's a white tailed doe 20 yards in front of me, and then the elk was another 20 yards behind the white-tailed doe, and I thought, great, this this white-tailed doe is messing up everything, and she was, uh, <laughs> you know, she was ready to bolt, and and I was trying to be quiet, just thinking, just move along, but finally she bolted, and then the elk bolted, and, and I'll never forget in that moment thinking, oh, I got to tell my dad, you know, this had been like three wow. years since he was gone, wow. and I I had that a lot, and it was it was mostly associated with outdoor things, you know. Hmm. Oh, I got to tell my, you know, and then then in that millisecond you remember, well, you know, I I, I can't. He's he's gone. So I think that's uh, I think that's one of the things that I maybe the most poignant thing that I I remember in terms of losing uh, someone in, that I hunted with and 
fish with that I spent a lot of time with in the outdoors. Wow, that's great. Yeah. No, it's not great. It's sad. I think. Yeah, but, I think when you, I mean, <clears throat> traditions are so important. Yeah, they really are. And you know what? Those those traditions now bring me a lot of joy. You know, and I I think back on uh, my dad and and remember those good times. There's yeah, there's always that tinge of sadness, but there's also that uh, you know the, those great memories and a lot of things we laugh about. And I, I can share with my sons. So, LaRue, as, as a dad, what, what does it mean to you to have your two sons, David and, and your son Matt, uh, what does that mean to have them committed to returning home each fall to hunt? Because I know they've done that for a number of years. Yeah, for you might say for a whole lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I can honestly say that it's always a moment of great anticipation mm. when they come to town and come to the door and you get these, this tremendous, warm welcome, hmm. the embraces, yeah. something you'll never forget. Oh, I bet. Hmm. And they get that too from you, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got, wow. two, I got two very wonderful boys. Yep. I've been really blessed that way. Yep, you sure have. And we've had this relationship with each other. And this one thing that my dad, I learned from him is that when I was away to Bible college or when I was in the pastorate, uh, dad would always call. <laughs> and uh, mom wasn't always on the phone. That was not for, it was not planned that way, but sometimes mom would be on the phone too, but dad would, he says, he would tell, tell mother, he says, I got to call LaRue. Hmm. So dad and I, and we had our differences over the years, uh, sometimes rather harsh mm -hmm. differences, but dad never stopped being in touch with me. Wow. Hmm. And whenever I needed some, some money or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's always the key. Yeah, right that's there. That's dad right. can have a loan. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's, that's terrific. So oh. Dad always had a willing hand and, oh. and sent me some money, you know. Coming back to the boys. Now it's not only the boys, now it's the grandsons yes, coming. Yes, that's right. And uh, boy, that is, that is really, really special. Uh, that's great. And then, then the hunting part of it, being out in the field. Oh, yeah. There's just something about that, doesn't it, that just bonds you together in, in a way that Nothing else does. I mean, words can't describe what happens to you, to each other. Yeah. The joy, the incredible joy you get out of being together and shooting a few holes in the sky. Mm -hmm. yep. yeah. That's what we say. <laughs> That's right. I like that. I like that. Now I, have, now I have language to explain what I did on so many pheasant hunts and duck hunts. So... So, Dave, from your perspective, what does it mean to you to have an uh, opportunity to return home each fall to hunt with your dad and your brother and, and now uh, your sons and uh, probably Matt's as well? The biggest thing is that it has become a center of gravity for my life, uh, around which my life orbits in many ways. Um, I live in Chicago. My parents live in North Dakota. One time a year that for sure I always get home. I remember when, yeah. I, when I was engaged to Jana. Actually, we had just started dating. We weren't engaged yet. And I remember 
telling her, well, I'm going to go back to North Dakota. And for a while I'm in North Dakota, I'm not going to call you because I need to really think things oh, through. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she, of course, she smiled and then went back to her apartment and cried, right? Oh, but man. about two or three days in, I ended up calling her back. But she learned really early on that <laughs> going back to hunt in North Dakota is pretty important to the Getzes. Wow. <laughs> but... Um, oh. Uh, so it's become really a center of gravity for me, and, yeah. and I've done it every year for probably, for, I don't know, since I was, yeah. well, I've, I've hunted every year since I could hunt, which was probably 12 yeah. or 13. Oh. And the second is it's really been a great way to stay connected to my boys and really pass on the tradition. And I've taken my daughter Kira out uh, to North Dakota, and she's done mm-hmm. fishing. Uh, she's not been interested in in hunting. I've got my youngest now, Jalen, that I'm just not sure where she'll land, yeah. but I am trying to get her to, I'm, the, my goal is to get her hunter safety certificate here uh, pretty soon. So, you know, my youngest son, Corey, is graduating. And as you mentioned, Steve, you know, this fall, the last one that we had might be his last fall for many years because yeah. he's going away to college. My uh, my older son, Christian, hasn't hunted since his sophomore year in high school. And football has always been the big issue that's killed us in terms of it's just tough to take off a week in the middle of football season. So yeah. um, so Christian might come out this fall. He may not come out this fall. We, we don't know. But yeah. definitely Corey probably won't make it. So that's hard. But, you know, we just go back no matter what. To me, is the tradition, right? It's just yeah. it's, it's a mm-hmm. pattern and it has meaning and it's going to happen yeah. no matter what. Boy, that's so, absolutely right. Traditions are what create memories. You don't have memory. Well, you may have memories, but you don't have the depth of memories without having those traditions. I feel the same way with you and I going out to oh, Montana yeah. every absolutely. year. Absolutely. And I can't even, you know, every year now starts to blur together. Yeah. I do mm-hmm. have some notes. I know you're a better journal t- writer than I am, or, or, you know, you take notes, but I, they all blur together. Yeah, they really do. And the stories blur together. Yeah. It's just one big jumbled mess of, yeah, you know. I know. That's why you can't believe anything we say and on this podcast. And that's why we have this, that's why we have the podcast, so we can uh, regurgitate all those and exactly. reflect a little bit. So, LaRue, maybe uh, one more, one more of your funniest hunting or fishing memories. Do you have any others that you could share with us? On the way over here to to do this time together, to share this time together with you fellas, uh, I couldn't help but think uh, of the snowstorm that we hunted in many years ago, uh, southeast of uh, uh, Sterling, North Dakota, out in the, in the off of uh, Long Lake, and visibility was almost zero. Oh, wow. And it was cold and snowy, and the geese were coming, and we were hunting, we hunted behind, we sat behind, not sat, but we stood behind big round bales, and here come the geese, you know, and it was, but visibility was just so bad, you could hardly even see the geese, but you did, finally we did knock some down, but it was a moment uh, that I will never, ever forget of uh, hunting in a blizzard. Well, and I don't know if that was the time, Dad. It may not have been, but I remember hunting once when it was really bad weather, and we shot like eight or nine geese. We were well within our limit, but we shot eight or nine geese, and then we got up, or not got up, we went to the cafe, had coffee, and then we went down to South Dakota, which was another two hours south, and hunted pheasants all afternoon and shot our limits of pheasants. Remember mm. that? I sure do. Wow. 
And then we got our, we not only got our limit there uh, down at, at home. Home is, a, is South Dakota. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, on our farm. But mm-hmm. then we had to go back and... Uh, clean and all the birds. Clean, we went into town, six miles into town where yeah. my mother lived. And uh, we had to clean those birds. <laughs> and we, hung, we cleaned until... About it, 1 p.m., I it was think one it was. O'clock. 1 a.m., excuse me. My mother oh. didn't like it too well, but we were in the garage cleaning birds. <laughs> and laughing. Those from North Dakota and the ones we cleaned that's in hilarious. South Dakota. Oh, that's it. Traditions make memories, don't <laughs> and they? T- and we sat there. My, uh, my son's father-in-law, he was with us, and he's an a med- uh, uh, internal medicine guy. Doctor, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he would tell He'd stories. Tell jokes and we would laugh until we were sick. <laughs> I was so exhausted that <sighs> night. I, I was like, we were delirious. Oh, man. You know, that, that reminds me, we, we've talked a little bit here about a lot about fathers and sons, and, and it could be fathers and daughters, uh, moms and sons, moms and daughters. But sometimes, too, it's, it's the friends. And uh, LaRue, you have a couple of guys, Dave said, that you, you like to hunt with, Clayton and I. Just quickly, tell us about them. Yeah, I've developed a you know a relationship with a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Clayton, and uh, I've known him since 1974. He had a, a really nice uh, cafe right along Highway uh, 83 and I-94 there up at, uh, east of Bismarck, and uh, we used to stop in there, a whole family, and used to have have a meal there. And, and as time went on, we just developed a relationship, and he invited me to, to hunt with him. He found out that I liked to hunt, so we went goose hunting with him. And I just won, not only with him, but with his dad. His dad's name was Albert, and his, his, uh, his uncle, which was a brother to uh, Clayton's dad, was Walter. <laughs> and so we had a team, and we just had so, those guys, well, the, the one of them, especially Albert, he had a sense of humor that wouldn't quit. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we would go out uh, hunting together, goose hunting, and uh, st- stand behind bales or s- sit on top of a haystack and watch the geese come and knock them down. <laughs> so we lived in the central flyway in North Dakota, so a lot of times the geese would, when they came down, they came down with hundreds of thousands. They'd sit on these small little lakes in North Dakota, I remember once, and this is a story. So these older gentlemen, and most of them are gone now, with the exception of Clayton and Ike. So Clayton's father, Albert, is gone. I think he was 95 when he when he died. He would stop hunting. He stopped hunting when he told us that the geese were like shadows above him, and he couldn't see them clearly anymore. Remember that? That's right. That's right. But he could still hit those geese. I mean, he was probably the the best shot of all of us. But I remember once when my brother Matt, who's now overseas breast cancer research at Mayo Clinic, Matt was like 15. It was one of his first time times out hunting with the guys, like the men. He was sitting alone away from us. We were sitting behind the haystacks drinking coffee like we normally do. We're very lazy hunters, by the way. We don't work too hard, right? So the geese, they all pile into this lake. We wait and find out which direction they get off, and then we try to run underneath them. But often they come off the west end. So anyway, Matt was by himself right along the refuge fence. So we're all watching. Soon enough, these big birds get off the lake, and they don't come all at once. They come in these small flocks, in a flock of probably about six or seven, and these were big birds. And we thought, 
these are swans. These are not geese. I sure hope that Matt over there knows that they're not swans, oh. or that they're not geese, that they're swans. Because you shoot a swan, you get caught. I mean, you get your you know shotgun taken away, and you get. I mean, it, it's bad news. I mean, it, you'd be better to shoot someone than to shoot a swan. So we're sitting back there, and all of a sudden, those swans go over Matt. And he's standing again next to the, he's, he's hiding right at the refuge fence. So you can't hunt in the refuge either. So, and he's fine because he's on this side of the refuge fence. So the geese go over and they're not geese, right? They're swans. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. He shoots three times. Last shot, he knocks one down. And we're just oh, gasping no. over here, right? Over by, we're, no, no so and it wasn't good enough right so that he so the swan went into the refuge so probably went in the refuge 50 yards and was flapping around so matt of course dutifully climbs over the fence takes his shotgun which is illegal you can't take your shotgun into the refuge and shoots the bird and then comes walking out with it hanging it up as proud as you would (laughs) and and i remember walter 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 died i don't know how many years five six seven years ago walter was like 90 when he died but walter was a straight guy man and he was just his conscious and he was just beside himself well we were all worried there was a game warden that would you know because the game warden used to sit on the hills and glass the hills because they were all there so and we were all always legal right we always had our licenses we always shot exactly what we needed to shoot so we weren't like a bunch of ruffigans that were you know illegal hunting it was just a complete mistake But I tell you what, I've never seen Walter so anxious in our life. So we finally found, you know, when we finally were able to communicate to Matt, put the, mm. put the swan down, put the swan down. So we finally put it down. Matt was confused. I think we stuffed it in a badger hole or something mm. like that. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, that was probably, how old's Matt? That was probably 30, 30 years ago. So what you're saying is a statue of limitations is run out. I'm I'm hoping there is (laughs) because (laughs) anyway, it it was one of those great moments where we talked about it forever, like the fear of it. I remember going back to the coffee shop and everybody was so disturbed. (laughs) So I've got to ask you one final question, LaRue, uh, and this will be it. So I don't know, maybe this is a dangerous question to ask, but which one of your sons is the best shot? Which one of your two boys is the best shot? Well, both of the guys are very good. That was a good answer. Yes, that's very political. But, but but there is one of them that is on an average that can shoot probably a little bit better as a whole, and that's Dave. Yeah, oh, there you go. Okay. And which of the grandsons is better than everybody? That's Corey. That one that's graduating wow, that's this good. weekend. Dave, can I go ahead and get that $20 now that you were going to give me for asking that question? I want to tell you something yeah. about Corey. Okay. You won't believe this, but he the times that he has been with us in hunting, the guys that are, we usually have a, have a hunting party when we go pheasant hunting, mm-hmm. there's usually about 10 of us in the hunting party, and... I can honestly tell you that that young fellow has shot more birds and got his limit quicker than anybody in the team. (laughs) Last fall, in fact, we were out hunting geese. Remember the morning you shot two? Corey just doesn't miss. And a big flock of geese came over and he shot twice and missed. And he was so disturbed. 
So he started walking back to us. So he still had goose load in his shotgun. So he had pellets in his shotgun. And two grouse got up and he picked off both of them. Oh grouse man. With 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 that high with <clears throat> with tea with tea shot. It was mm. funny. Anyway, oh, wow. enough of Corey. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, traditions, uh, they are what make memories. And you know, and those, those young fellows, you take a fellow like Corey, he'll never forget that. No, he won't, Willie. He won't at all. He'll never forget no. that. It builds relationship. And when I, Francis, like, when I met him a few days ago, he just gives me a big old bear yeah, hug. That's awesome. Well, and that's that's, that's the kind I'm, of thing that tears you up. It does. Yeah, it really sure does. does. It does. I mean, that's that's one of the most satisfying parts of fly fishing or any outdoor pursuit, and that's the creation of traditions with friends, with family, and those traditions are what make memories. And I like just might say here as well that family is something that is just there. It's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful thing. It was not our invention. It was that's God's right. invention. Yep, that's right. And to be able to maintain that family relationship, uh, there's no price tag on that. Oh, there sure isn't. Well, thank you so much for joining us and putting up with us today. This has been, this has been great. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, we just want to remind you to post your comments when you can. Uh, we've learned so much from you through the years, and we're suckers for a good story or a new fly fishing hack. So, hey, bring it on. Here's a comment from Roger on our recent podcast on fly care and presentation. He writes, I always wanted a Wheatley fly box. I felt it's the ultimate box to have. All those little compartments would protect my valuable flies. After coming into some money, I decided, hey, why not? So I got one. I love it, and I treasure it. Sometimes I feel that whatever we do, we need to spoil ourselves and go that one extra mile. I That's like a that. great yeah, quote. That is good. We, we've spoiled ourselves, haven't we? Uh, maybe a little bit too much. Yeah, that's right. That... But there is something really wonderful. Like you buy, uh, it's one thing if you, you know, you have unlimited money. Yeah, if, if, if everything is. And everything, uh, you got to have the top of the line of everything. Right. But if it's a sacrifice mm. and it's that one thing, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb here and pay the extra money for this. You treat it better. You treat it more carefully. Yeah. It becomes really... I don't know if heirloom is the word, but it yeah. becomes something mm -hmm. that's really special. Yeah, it, it's true. It, that's a great point. So, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for that great comment, Roger. Uh, we it just makes us think about the ways that we've spoiled ourselves. All right, our final segment in today's podcast is hook set. This is where we set the proverbial hook and wrap up our podcast by sharing a quote that we reflect on for a few minutes. Today's quote comes from Bob Jacklin's conclusion to Fly Fishing the Yellowstone in the Park. This is a book he co-authored with uh, Gary LaFontaine. Here is Bob's quote. If the good Lord gave me just one last day in which to fish, I would fish the upper Yellowstone River in Yellowstone National Park. Now, that raises the question, where would we fish, where would you fish if you had only one day left to fish? Wow, uh, that's a great, great question. That really is. You know, I mean, my mind probably goes first to... Tower Fall for me. Well, yeah, and I, I was thinking maybe someplace like 16 Mile where I just, you know, had an incredible day. But 
maybe in light of our podcast today, when I think of traditions, yeah, it's got to be some place that maybe I've gone year after year that I have some memories and some good fishing memories too, where I've caught fish. So yeah, I thought I was thinking probably below Tower Fall in Yellowstone Park. You know, maybe maybe if I knew it was really good, there's a maybe Rainbow Run on yeah, the Madison yep, River yep, that yep. could be. The gardener has been great. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, think I'm drawn to those places though, where I've I've have had some memories with you, with uh, family members. That's a real draw. What I like about the question is there's this sense of there's so much to fish in the world. You go to Patagonia, you go to Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, Alaska. But at the end of the day, you're constrained by the fact that you're a human and you mm-hmm. have to can only fish in one place at one time. Right. And at the end of the day, where is your... Where's home for yeah. you, really, yep. as it Absolutely. relates to fly fishing? And very definitely for yep. me, it's it's either it's someplace in Yellowstone, the northeast mm-hmm. part of Yellowstone National Park. It could be the Madison River at Rainbow Run. I, I think 16 Mile was such a great experience mm-hmm. for us. We've had a lot of great days on Willow Creek. Yeah, we have. That could be. There's probably one. a handful of these. That's right. Well, hopefully, we won't have to pick one of those for a while, huh? I hope not. Well, that's all for today. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.